Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror films that are directed exclusively by women-identified directors to prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the very lovely, the uh, very under the tyranny of construction, Ariel. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Hi. I was saying, you were telling me before the show that they're carrying your apartment up which is why we had to we're recording a little bit later so listeners beware i get a little kooky (laughs) (laughs) we may be a little sillier this episode yeah (laughs) yeah so my good time upstairs neighbor (laughs) no is this the humpty dance guy yes oh oh, and he left he left oh my gosh so here's the test and we're gonna find out if the presents stop coming oh that's true yeah exactly uh-huh. We can eliminate him from the suspect, <laughs> the suspect if, if you get something after he, now that he's gone. Right, right. <laughs> so we can take him off the board. We can disconnect the little red string that was wrapped around the... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so he moved out and somebody else in my building moved out and they've just been doing crazy amounts of construction all week. Driving crazy. me absolutely bonkers. And I was almost saying, ruining an interview we did. <laughs> I know, I know. I, yeah, I was saying to you, like, joking, sort of, <laughs> that if you think you were having a bad day, imagine how the guy in the wall feels. <laughs> That's such a mean take. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I really thought there was a dude in your wall, I wouldn't joke about it. I'd be like, you're moving out. I'm, I'm coming. We're packing your shit. We're getting the fuck out of there. If I thought you were really you know yeah yeah, you really had a dude in the wall but then watch (laughs) what's gonna happen is you are gonna find out that there was and you'll be like rachel i made jokes about it bad (laughs) friend (laughs) oh my god or if that's why it's taking them so long to do upstairs guys apartment redo because they found people in the walls i mean that would make sense okay so on your recommendation on the last show, I have been listening to the Magnus Institute, which is a great podcast that you should uh-huh. only listen to if you have plenty of room in your podcasting time. Because I don't want to get bumped for something. I- <laughs> 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 but as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about all the creepy neighbor stories. Oh, I know. Like the one where there's like all the meat hammered to all the walls. I love it's that like episode. Putrefacting it's like so- through the <laughs> ceiling. Like so that's what upsetting. I'm imagining is upstairs. Only it's just thousands and thousands of used condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> I will miss is his dog that's it he did have a cute dog yeah i say that like i've seen it i just know because you've told me it's cute (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like yes i mean have you ever met someone more yes and than me (laughs) it was like i was there all right so aside from the construction what's been going on any spooky doings any weird neighbor activity anything we need to know no absolutely nothing there has it's been all quiet otherwise i've gotten no weird deliveries the electrical stuff has been bizarre but they're i mean they're working on it so i feel like that's not ghosts that's just poor construction (laughs) so Uh, i'm not sure that that is not a that's not a like (laughs) yes in the dude in the wall (laughs) because of course he'd have to leave there'd be no shenanigans he'd have to hide further deeper into the walls yeah 
I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, everything's been good. I haven't, and it's been cold and rainy. So everybody's been wearing their clothes, which is also really? nice. <laughs> I haven't seen any nude neighbors. <laughs> No Donald Ducks, no Porky Pigs. No. Everybody's got their pants on. Yeah, it's been wow. refreshing. I forgot how nice winter can be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like right. Portland's rainy season can get you down until you remember the upside. <laughs> <laughs> Turn that sad into glad. Right, exactly. <laughs> what is, okay, so sad is seasonal effectiveness disorder. What is glad in in that scenario? I don't know. <laughs> Something anti-Donald Duckin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anti-Donald Ducking. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah. Not, this show is truly off the rails today. <laughs> Feel free to clean that up in post. Cut whatever you want. It can all go. It can go straight from more deadly into the review as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay. So today I'm very excited about the movie that we're going to be talking about. Maybe that's tipping my hand a little bit. But if you've listened to the director's cut, it won't come as a surprise that this is going to be a little bit of a love fest. We are going to be talking about the 2021 remake of Slumber Party Massacre directed by Danishka Eskarhazy. And yeah, there's been a lot, a lot of these sort of, I've seen it called nostalgia mining. Uh-huh. Sure. And I think we're going to talk about this bit, but whether or not we think that works and what it takes to make it work and all that kind of stuff. But before we get into any of that, can you please let our listeners know what our spoiler policy is tonight? Yeah, so we are going to tell you a little bit about the filmmaker and the production of the movie, and then we're going to give you our non-spoiler thoughts and let you know whether this one's worth checking out. And then after that, everything's up for grabs, and we're going to be spoiling the whole thing. So yeah. if you haven't seen it and you're spoiler-averse, go and check it out. If you have Hulu Live, you can watch it there, or I think you can rent it on iTunes as well. And then mm. come back and finish listening. And this is one where we can't really avoid spoilers to really get into it. And this takes yeah. some turns. And so it, it has a lot of turns. Easily yes. spoiled. Yes. So <laughs> it's not as straightforward as it might appear to be. So take that into consideration while making your choice. Right. Even if you've seen the original and you think you know where this one's going to go, you don't totally. It might, it might so. zig. It might zag. Yeah, so exactly. Consider yourself warned. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, with that, why don't you tell me a little bit about Danishka and the making of the film? All right. So she is a Canadian screenwriter, filmmaker, and producer who grew up in Winnipeg, which apparently is a very, very cold place to live. Yeah. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask Justin, our, our Canadian friend, Justin, to give us yeah. a lowdown on Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> So I couldn't find out much about her childhood, but in an interview with Medium, she talked about how much she loved horror movies growing up, but that she was always frustrated by seeing so few stories that were about the lives of women. Mm. So in that interview, she said, the heroes were always men. The villains were always men. Often the entire cast would be male with one extremely attractive girlfriend character thrown into the mix. <laughs> I would call these Smurfette movies. A yes. world, yeah, a world yes. full of men with one lone female character. So bizarre. I wanted better movies to watch. 
When I make films now, I try to correct that problem by telling stories with diversity in gender, race, and sexuality. And I think that really sums up sort of the way that she makes movies. Yeah, I think definitely. You can see that in this one. Yeah, absolutely. So she got her start as a director by working at a film co-op called the Winnipeg Film Group, making experimental short films, and then she quickly became obsessed with filmmaking. And so at this co-op, apparently you direct your own films and then you volunteer to work on other people's films and vice versa. That's cool. Yeah, exactly. So she got to make a ton of her own movies, but she also got tons of experience working on all kinds of jobs. So she got to write and direct. She got to be the editor, the cinematographer, producer, assistant director, set decorator, props master. And then she also did crew stuff like grip, electric work, transport, even craft services. So by doing that, she learned just a ton about filmmaking. And she was also able to take workshops in camera stuff, lighting and editing. And then, yeah, and then after making a few dozen short films, she moved to Toronto, where she studied directing at the Canadian Film Centre. And then she got a job on set as a director's assistant and kind of learned the ropes of the film industry. She already knew how to make films, but learning the industry really by fetching Mm -hmm. coffee by day (laughs) in this job and then shooting her own indie films on her days off. So her first feature film is called Black Field. It came out in 2009. And it is a dark historical drama set in the 1870s. Mm. And it won Best Feature Drama Award at Vancouver's Women in Film Festival and the Best Canadian Feature Award at Toronto's Female Eye Film Festival, too. Wow. All right. Nice work. So she continued to make short films and TV movies. And then in 2013, she co-wrote and directed H&G, which is a modern retelling of Hansel and Gretel. Oh, cool. And then in 2018, her dystopian horror film, Level 16, came out, which she both co-wrote and directed. Yes. Did you see that one? I didn't. I have not seen it, but I've seen, I mean, I'm aware of it and generally what the, what it's about. And it looks really interesting. It is. It's a good movie. It might be one that's fun to talk about on the show at some point. So add it to the list. (laughs) So I don't want to go too much into Level 16, but I just wanted to talk about it for a minute because I think it's sort of some of the things she said about it make sense in relation to the choices she made in Slumber Party Massacre. Mm, Okay. So in several interviews, she said that you have to have really thick skin and get used to rejection in order to be in this industry. And apparently she pitched her film Level 16 for 10 years before she got funding for it. Shoot. Yeah, she had originally... I know. She had originally intended for it to be her feature film debut, but she just Mm. kept hitting a wall largely... Because funders and distributors kept telling her that women don't want to watch sci-fi movies or dystopian stories about women, which is (laughs) (laughs) delusional. (laughs) I feel like they've never heard of young adult fiction before in their lives. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's all it is. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) Wild. Wild. See, these are the decision makers, you know? Yeah. This is... That's how out of touch. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And then because Level 16 is a is basically a full woman women cast, right? It's about all mm-hmm. of these young girls in this boarding school sort of situation. So she also got lots of suggestions to make the women in the film sexy and oh, to God. show things like shower scenes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's adding some context for uh-huh, me. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
So she said, quote, I had zero interest in the male gaze. This is perhaps why it was so difficult to raise funding in the male-dominated film industry. I received lots of notes to make the girls sexy, to dress them in transparent clothing, to show them showering naked, etc. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> right? Gross. I mean, I that makes a lot of sense. I, it makes me think a lot about, you know, stories that Karen Kusama talked about when she was making Jennifer's Body. Right. How they basically just sent her back notes that were like, Megan Fox equals hot. Yeah, it's so gross. Yeah. That's whack. But we'll see who gets the last laugh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so in that same Medium interview I, I quoted earlier, she said, quote, the jobs, the funding, the distribution, and the awards are still overwhelmingly given to white men. A film career is difficult for everyone, but a career as a director is substantially more difficult for women. So few women are given film budgets that would allow us to create ambitious films to compete at the top level of our craft. It is a frustrating reality. And I think that's something we keep talking about is that mm -hmm. so many male indie directors get that boost, right? And end up making these huge budget movies. And we're just now starting to see that happen a little bit with women. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it. Nia DaCosta and Lee Janiak. And Lee Janiak. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's probably a couple more, but yeah. I mean, the point is they're all on one hand. Right. All right. So after level 16, she directed the Banana Splits movie. Mm -hmm. And then she directed some TV shows like Vagrant Queen and Surreal Estate and mm -hmm. the TV movie I Was Lorena Bobbitt, which I didn't know she did. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know about that one. I knew about the surreal estate and the, what was the other one? Vagrant Lady. Queen. Vagrant Queen. Yes, yes. I did know that. She she is just all over the genre. I love it. I know. And then after that, she directed Slumber Party Massacre. So... Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Slumber Party Massacre is a remake of the 1982 film of the same name that was written by feminist author Rita Mae Brown and directed mm -hmm. by Amy Holden Jones. Now, there are about a million things you could say about the first movie and the making of it and who was involved, but I don't want to talk too much about it because I feel like at some point we'll probably circle back and cover it. Yeah, that's true. But you can't avoid it forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to talk about it a little bit because obviously it has a lot to do with the movie we're going to be talking about today. Obviously, it came out in 1982, so it was written after the sort of slasher craze had started with films like Halloween and Friday the 13th. And it was meant to work both as a slasher movie and as feminist satire. Yeah. So, for instance, in the movie... There are tons of examples of the male gaze in gratuitous ways, yeah. but the intent behind it originally was to sort of show how big of a threat that is to the, that the killer and the men who spy on these women are the real threat here. Yeah. In the movie, all the female characters have names and you get to know them. Of course, there is the weapon, which instead of being, you know... A knife in a lot of the movies where you know what's happening there. It's a drill that is literally drilling into these young women. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. Also, instead of there being a final girl at the end of the first Slumber Party Massacre movie, it's three young women who are alive in the end. So there are ways that it was sort of changed to have more of this feminist bent. But unfortunately, Rita Mae Brown's original script went through a lot of revisions. I bet. 
Yeah. And because it was a Roger Corman joint, the Mm. director, Amy Holden Jones, was really pushed towards including more exploitative stuff, hence the nudity, (laughs) all the boob shots. Yeah. So while it's trying to explore these feminist themes, it still had to adhere to that exploitation horror model that had been Mm -hmm. set up. And Mm -hmm. so there's these sort of two conflicting ideas when you're watching it. To make this film, Danishka studied interviews with Amy Holden Jones when she was talking about the original movie so she could kind of get inside of her head more. And she really wanted to kind of explore the intentions of the original and then build on that and kind of make it bigger. Interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah. So in an interview with 1428 Elm, she said, quote, to be able to point to horror history and re-examine those original stories she told, but to be able to say so much more, to not have the same restrictions that she had in terms of the stories she could tell, delivering a franchise starring women, made by women, but really a franchise that was aimed at men. She didn't get to explore all of the themes she wanted to explore in terms of women in horror. I feel that my movie is just a continuation of that dialogue. Yep. Yep. I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear more about Danishka and the making of Slumber Party Massacre and her thoughts on it, keep an eye on our feed because there is a director's cut episode where we got to interview her. Yep. It's actually out now. Awesome. So the movie was filmed in South Africa and the script was also written by a woman named Suzanne Kelly. So that's kind of the cool thing about this franchise mm-hmm. too, is that it's women creating it. Did you look at all at, at uh, Suzanne Kelly's resume at all? No, I didn't. Oh yeah. It's she's all over the genre. She's oh, writing awesome. horror. She's writing sci-fi. It's actually a pretty, it's actually a pretty interesting resume. That's so cool. So because this was made to be released on the sci-fi channel, she had to tone down some of the nudity. And because of that, she even integrated pixelated nudity in the film. Okay, I was wondering <laughs> if, because we we got a screener. I was like, is yes. the final version going to have the butt crack? So I what I was reading is that it seems like there is going to be sort of the uncut version that will come out on VOD. But the one that you see on the sci-fi channel oh. has the pixelation. Okay. And that it's sort of played for laughs, right? Oh, definitely, but definitely. It, it wasn't just one of those things where they put the black bars over it. It was obviously done with intention. Yeah. Yeah, or when they used to paint on the bikinis. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, isn't there like a thing about how on Disney Plus when it came out, they were adding like CGI things in front of nudity? So if you watch oh, really? Splash, there's the <laughs> scene where she runs into the ocean. She now has tons of CGI <laughs> I just remember when they tried to play, I think it was Showgirls on a regular channel. Oh, no. And they had to cut a bunch of scenes and they had these weird bikinis that they put on top of them that kind of moved around strangely. hilarious. Like rotoscoped bikinis. Amazing. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. So this film made its world premiere at Fantastic Fest on September 27th of this year. And then it debuted on the Sci-Fi Channel on October 16th. And it will also get a Blu-ray and VOD release pretty soon if you don't have access to any of the other ways to watch it. And I hope people put this in their eyeballs when it comes out. I really do, too. Yeah. And I think it's only about $4.99 to rent it on iTunes. So it's not that big of a spend. Worth it. Totally worth Worth it. it. (laughs) So right now, she is currently directing two episodes of an upcoming sci-fi TV show called Astrid and Lily Save the World. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it actually does. It's about two high school girls who are outcasts and they accidentally crack open a portal to a terrifyingly quirky monster dimension. 
That sounds great. And it's is it live action or animated? I think it's live action. Yeah. Okay, you... that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really, really cool. And she's also in post-production on a thriller called Shadowy Lines that she wrote and directed. Unfortunately, the only thing I could really find out about the plot is that it's about love, death, desire, and the unknown, which is doesn't give us a lot of information, but, you know, we'll keep an eye out for it. <laughs> okay. I pulled up Suzanne Cayley's IMDb because I just think it's worth noting because mm-hmm. she's also deep in the in the genre, like I was saying. So she had written previously... Summer Party Massacre, obviously. Uh, an episode of Warrior Nun, which I don't know if you ever watched that. I did watch that. That's yes. cool. That Light is a Feather series. Oh, nice. Leprechaun Returns. She wrote the screenplay for that. Oh, okay. And one of my favorite episodes of Ash versus Evil Dead, Ashy Slashy, the one with the little <gasps> killer puppet. Really? Oh, that's yes. so cool. I love yeah. that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. That's why I was like, oh, no, no, we can't keep going. We've got to stop. We've got to talk about Suzanne. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. That's all I got. Oh, awesome. Well, that sounds great. I definitely hope people check it out because, well, we'll get into it, but yeah, it was a, it was, it was a rough week to see everybody talking about one movie instead of this movie, (laughs) (laughs) but we'll get into that in the extended. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we will. (laughs) All right. Awesome. So, all right. I think first things first, we should give our non-spoiler review really quickly what we thought of this movie and then we can get into the spoilers because I want to talk about some things. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go first with my non-spoiler and then you can hop in. Is that cool? Yeah. All right, cool. So first of all, I think it's very clear. I really love this movie. Mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a contender for the top 10 of the year for sure. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so I I have respect for the original Slumber Party Massacre because it's such an important sort of milestone in feminist horror filmmaking. And I think it has some really interesting critiques of of the sexist tropes that, you know, permeate the slasher subgenre, which is tends to not be one of my favorites for, in part, that reason. Mm-hmm. That being said, I don't necessarily love the movie. And I think maybe it's because what you were describing where it is the message is a little muddled because of all the Corman intervention I think a lot about in our interview if you've listened to the interview with Dinesha she talks about how Amy Holden Jones basically kicked the door open for women directors and like herself and so I can't help but have a lot of respect for that but it's not necessarily one that I would return to I don't think unless we're we're watching it as homework to discuss I wouldn't just pop it on this on the other (laughs) hand And is a total comfort food movie, I think. I'm going to be back to this one because it gave me everything I wanted. It's fun. It's funny. It's gruesome in parts. There's some genuinely tense moments. And I think amongst all that, it does an even better job of sort of packing in feminist discourse but with a more modern audience in mind which i appreciate because some of the stuff is i mean when did summer party massacre the original come out in like 86 82 82. okay Mm -hmm. so i feel like obviously the conversation has moved on right of course (laughs) that doesn't mean that there aren't some timeless messages in there but i do think that this one does a better job of really speaking to the kinds of conversations we're having now and i appreciate that Uh, i also really loved the characters in this i think they're all pretty complicated and messy, mm-hmm. specifically the female characters, not so much the male characters. Well, right. By but that's for a specific reason. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, there are times where they make 
frustratingly poor decisions you know like the the sister doesn't always make the best choices right but i actually think that that is speaks to good writing because that in and of itself is subverting a trope which is having to adhere to a very strict guideline and in order to fit the bill of a final girl there is a very different kind of idealized female character that fits that that bill and it is being the smartest having the most stereotypically male characteristics being sexless right. there's a handful of these things that while it's empowering to have a final girl there when it is the same one over and over and over again or minor variations on the same one that becomes a new sort of problem right and this one i think avoids that by creating complicated messy characters that sometimes don't have the best motivations you know i think the performances are really great in the more realistic parts but also this thing is camp as hell <laughs> it really is and yeah. they <laughs> go for it and it and you know camp can go wrong <laughs> mm -hmm. but in this case it really worked for me and then finally, I think there is a there is a fair amount of fan service in here. If you are someone who really loves the original franchise, you're going to see lots of little visual cues and little moments that harken back to things that you'll remember. But they never feel like, hey, look at this thing. Well, with the exception of one, but I didn't care because it was so funny. <laughs> but for the most part, it's done really cleverly. There is one shot in this movie that is essentially a remake of the poster of the of the original film mm -hmm. but with uh some differences <laughs> right <laughs> which we'll get into and so i think that it plays homage in a way that's fun without it being so overly fan servicey like i don't know shoehorning half your cast from previous movies into it oh burn we'll save that for the extended <laughs> episode anyway in my opinion this is how you do a remake properly I really liked it. We're in a golden age of these sort of nostalgia mining films for better or for worse. And in this case, I think it's definitely for the better. How about you? What are your non-spoilery thoughts about this here movie film? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. This movie is so much fun. Everybody really should go see it because I do think it's going to be one that makes our list at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. It's just so enjoyable. And I think we both watched it twice leading up to this episode. And I enjoyed it both times, <laughs> which sometimes I don't <laughs> when I have to go back and rewatch something it, a second time. It feels time, like, like homework a little bit. <laughs> it's a chore. Why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> yeah. Uh, in some ways, I liked the rewatch because I, I was like, oh. Yes. Yeah. There were even looks between characters before mm -hmm. certain twists happened that I, that I didn't notice the first time. And I was like, uh -huh. oh, okay, uh -huh. I see. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, it's a really fun movie. And like you were saying, the original tried to push some boundaries. And then this one just goes further and kind of puts it all out on the table. And it's so much fun to watch how it flips the script on those traditional slasher tropes. It's so enjoyable because as horror fans, we know those inside and out. Mm -hmm. And it, this does it in such a fun, like you were saying, campy way. It's just super enjoyable. I loved all of the references to the original that were also gender swapped. That was really fun. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that. And, you know... We've had movies before that are sort of send-ups or subversions of of slasher movies, right? There's Scream, there's Cabin in the Woods, things like that yeah. that, that do this. But I think what's really fun about this one is that it's critical of those slasher tropes, mm -hmm. but it's done 100% through a feminist lens this time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yes. other movies have been critical of that or subverted those, but this one does it purely from a feminist lens, which is right. really awesome. 
Yeah. Scream is very meta, but I don't know yes. that it has much to say about uh, beyond that, like being very in on the joke. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it has a lot of critique in it. It doesn't mean I don't like it. But this one does kind of Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it has fun kills. There's some mm. good gore in here. Yes, yes, yes. It yes. just, the whole package, I really enjoyed. And so you just, you got to go watch it. It's so much fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Agree to agree. All right, y'all. We got to get into spoiler territory because in order to properly break this down, <laughs> we got to talk about some twists <laughs> and turns because yeah. there are some really fun ones in here. So if you are spoiler adverse or we have sold you on this movie, maybe you thought you came into this, you're like, I don't care about this sci-fi channel horror film from the 80s. Hopefully we've disabused you of that notion and you are now furiously typing into iTunes so that you are able to purchase said film and watch it and come back. And uh, yeah, I have vamped long enough. Consider yourself warned. <laughs> Spoilers from here on out, starting with this here synopsis, because I'm about to tell you everything. So the movie opens in 1993, and a group of girls are having a slumber party in a cabin out on the lake. But unbeknownst to them, they are being watched by one Russ Thorne, the driller killer. He breaks in, kills all but one of them, a girl named Trish, who succeeds in knocking him off a pier to his apparent apparent death (laughs) flash forward to present day and now trish's daughter dina is setting out for her own overnight adventure with her friends and a stowaway sister (laughs) yes (laughs) when their car breaks down they have to stay at a local cabin which just so happens to be across the lake from the one from 1993 but twist it turns out that was the plan all along. <laughs> Actually, it's a pretty great twist. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> they are here and they are hunting Russ Thorne, who they suspect survived. And they want to avenge Dana's mother's friends, murders, and all of the trauma that she has as a result of it. Complicating things is a house full of beefcakes staying across the lake that think <laughs> that they... <laughs> They are beefcakes. <laughs> hunky boys. <laughs> hunky. Not my hunky boys. <laughs> yes, the hunky boys. So, yes, yeah, so the hunky boys are at first are interested in the ladies, of course, but then they suspect that they've got themselves a house full of stone cold feminists. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> so they get skirt. And then Russ shows up, kills pretty much all the boys. <laughs> yep (laughs) and and the girls manage to trap and twist number two kill him pretty quickly which is yay but then twist number three (laughs) there's someone else out there lurking in the woods which turns out to be twist number four russ's mom who now wants vengeance for her son she kills some of the girls but trish shows shows up and saves the day and together Mother and daughter beat and kill Russ's mother, too. Roll credits. They sure do. So good. (laughs) (laughs) How was that synopsis? Is that okay? Yeah, no, that was I mean, I left a lot of detail out, but like I went all the girls, but yeah. But yeah. (laughs) A lot happens. (laughs) Yeah, this is not a movie that is short on plot. No, no. And it moves at a very quick pace. (laughs) (laughs) It does move really quickly, though. I will say that this thing has got momentum to it. Yeah yeah all right it's not two hours like you hate (laughs) it's not two hours i mean it's two hours with commercials but not without (laughs) (laughs) them. 
<laughs> so okay before we get into my love of a decent normal sane runtime <laughs> what did you think of this movie <laughs> yeah so i've already talked about so many of the things that i love but more specifically when we're talking about the way in which she subverts horror tropes and the yes. gender swapping that happens is probably my favorite thing about this movie for instance in the first movie in the first slumber party massacre there is a very prolonged scene of the the high school girls showering in the locker room mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the camera is not shy about ogling their goodies right so (laughs) the great thing about this movie though is that we swap that out and we get a scene of a guy showering and not just showering but the camera like slowly pans up and down his body while he's in the shower you know it totally switches that and we get the female gaze there right Mm-hmm. And it does that consistently. I, I love that about this movie. And it does it in a way that's very humorous, too. Yes. Does it leer at the men? Yes, it does. But it does it very tongue-in-cheek. Exactly. And what it does is it highlights the absurdity yeah, of exactly. the way that women are often presented in this in slashers right yeah by switching Mm -hmm. that you're really confronted by just how ridiculous the inclusion of those scenes normally are in a slasher movie and on top of that it's just funny (laughs) right we get more scenes like that though so for instance in the original it's a slumber party so all of the girls are wearing you know sort of these longer sort of shirt nightgowns with slits up the side and it's a you know showing off a little bit of skin and stuff and in this one in this one we get some of that where they're wearing pajamas but they're fully covered and when we see them dancing it's not sexy dancing right it's just these girls having fun dancing together which i think is is really nice too and then of course we also get the guys who are half naked having a pillow fight. <laughs> yes, uh, the pillow fight kills me. The pillow and it's funny because there is sort of the visual stuff of like okay, look how ridiculous this looks, but then also in text they're just like is this how guys are when they're alone? Yes, is- I love that line so, so much. So weird. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that is how we feel every time we see one of these stupid slumber party things. Right. I've been, I have been to a hundred slumber parties, yeah. okay? Yep. I slumber partied harder than anyone. And <laughs> never once have i had a sexy pillow fight party. <laughs> never one time no 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 no. and it does slow-mo and yes. where and they're you know jumping on each other and they're spraying each other with beer so you get sort of the wet t-shirt effect and yep. it's just it's so funny it's so funny and it would be absurd if we hadn't seen it a thousand times before right. gender flips Right, exactly. I do exactly. love how they all clutch their shirts when they see the girls no, and throw them no, on. Oh no! <laughs> it's, so it's great. It's great. It's, so it's clever. Whenever we talk about horror movies being able to kind of get past your defenses, it's presented in a way that is it's telling you something, but it's so funny that it doesn't feel it, it's. What do they call it? Like edutainment? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's more in the line with that than it is just a message film, you know? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's fun first, and then you're like, oh. Oh, I see what you're trying to say there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are other things where she does that gender flip thing. For instance, the very first time the guy, one of the guys encounters the killer, 
he immediately trips over his own feet yep. and then cannot get back up again. He's just yep. sort of keeps tripping over and over again and is yelling for help. And we've seen that how many times in a slasher movie, right? Over and over again. And then yes. one of my absolute favorite things is guy one and guy two. Guy one and guy two. <laughs> it's it's so funny because we all know that there's this sort of nameless, faceless female victims all the time. They're just cannon fodder in the beginning of the movie, right? And we get that. They're the first two to die here. Yep. And even though their name is actually Guy, the joke that they're just, you know, where you would look on IMDb and they don't actually have a name. It's just Guy 1 and Guy 2. It's that mm -hmm. sort of idea. Yes. And the scene where the girls are trying to figure out what these boys' names are. Right. And they have like a who's on first conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Right. Because it's absurd. Yes. It's absolutely <laughs> absurd and ridiculous. And mm -hmm. here it's played for laughs, but you understand immediately if you've seen these movies, what the director is trying to say. And that's the beauty of this film, really. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that I think is great is all of the nods to the original, like you were talking about. They mm -hmm. There are subtler ones, and then I know one of the ones you enjoyed the most is not so subtle. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is it's not subtle at all, and that's the guitar, right? Because the thing, it's the guitar from Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yes. And it has a very, very distinctive design. If you've seen it, you know it. Right. But what I like is they pay it off. Yeah. It doesn't just exist like a hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it leads to one of the best gore scenes in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, and so there's just, there's little things like that. There's the guitar, but there's also the little sister in this movie. So in the original yes. movie, there's the little sister and she has, you know, a kind of a big role in it. And I know that I read that Danishka Esterhazy, she really liked that character in the original because it's this young girl who's sort of trying to figure out her sexuality and trying to, you know, be more grown up. But she's also super snarky mm -hmm, in it mm -hmm. and, you know, looking at playgirls and stuff and <laughs> wanting to <laughs> hang with the older girls. Of course. Yeah. So she's a she's a fun character in the first one. And I know that she wanted to kind of do something similar. And here the younger sister is pretty enjoyable. I mean, she's such a smart ass. Yes. Yes. Which is which is great. I found her to be really an enjoyable part of this movie. Me too. And then of course there's the scene, one of the ones that I really liked is in the first one you see where this one of the girls is hiding and the blood pools under the door and the killer sees it and that's how he knows that she's have been hiding there but mm -hmm. here it happens but it's not actually blood they're just trying to trick him so they can get a one-up which gotcha. i just think it's a really clever way to sort of pay homage to the original mm -hmm. and i mean there's there's a ton of them in there if you're if you're watching for them Obviously, the kills are really fun. I mean, you talked about the guitar one. I yes. really enjoyed the drill to the face one. Um, uh, more specifically. Because <laughs> <laughs> there. there's a few of them. <laughs> the one where he is drilling this guy's face for a while and his head starts kind of jostling around. As it's oh, sort of okay. Spinning, yes, and he falls yes. to the ground and you just see this pile of mush that his yeah. face has become. <laughs> yes, 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 yes because <laughs> there's also like the one in the neck and then there's yes. i think guy two gets it in the head so there's like more more detail required <laughs> so good so it good. really is i also liked that the movie 
sort of touched on issues of like toxic masculinity. Oh, it sure uh, does. <laughs> it sure does. In, you know, in the way that the male characters interact with each other, but also, you know, things like the creepy ex looking through the window and even the line where they're trying to decide what to do and the one guy who's sort of being somewhat level-headed and reasonable and willing to listen to the women a little bit he's like but my toxic masculinity won't let me he's an interesting character i think yeah he because is. he's codes as an ally but you see but all the way really. he betrays her mm-hmm. and how he really never really is one it's like he pays lip service to mm-hmm. it a little bit but and he's smart enough to know that the toxic masculinity is bullshit right and yet he's unable to get away from it the Mm -hmm. pull of it yeah Yeah, exactly exactly he sucks but he's interesting it's an interesting way to talk about a lot of things in a very kind of light and breezy way yeah totally and and i also think there's a funny line around when our main character dana sort of comes in contact with the driller killer for the first time and his drill doesn't work and she's like having performance issues i mean because i mean i mean i know that that's sort of the when men women and chainsaw thing about how all knives anything that does penetration is a dick metaphor and that's what i love about the drill is Mm -hmm. it's it is the lifted truck with truck nuts of slasher killer implements exactly exactly and i also think pointing that out that obviously but in such a funny way was very amusing and also like men do kill women for this kind of stuff you know it's not something that doesn't happen so yeah yeah i think one of the most interesting things sort of on that topic is russ thorne himself and this interpretation of him Mm -hmm. i mean there is a very sort of campy creepy guy in the woods kind of vibe to his performance yeah but what's interesting is whenever he speaks he speaks in this very high-pitched tone and the things that he says are all i mean i think exclusively with the exception of you're also pretty although that is also very creepy like the language of abusers Mm. he says things like i must really have to love you in order to do this takes a lot of love to do this to you yeah and i mean the first his first line before he gets pushed off the pier in the 1993 section is i love you but i love you after he's tormented and terrified and terrorized her he says but i love you yeah and all of that is pulled from the original Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've seen that recently. It's been since we reviewed it. So maybe I am missing that this is pulled from it. But yeah, so I rewatched it before I watched oh, this smart, one. smart. Because uh, yes, I, I also did... definitely did my due diligence. <laughs> because I know that we covered the original on yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Zombie a Girls, decade but ago. I literally don't remember yeah. doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I decided to rewatch it. But the killer in this newer one is sort of like a high camp version of what you see in the first one. In the first one, he has a high voice. He does some of that stuff with his jaw and kind of looking through the sides of his eyes, just like Uh he does in this newer one. And he says things like, you're so pretty and but I love you and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh So I think it's just heightening all of that. Okay, maybe that's why it resonated more this time. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that that what you're saying about sort of the language of abusers may have been some of the intent in the original, too. Definitely. 
And I mean, like I said, some of the stuff is modernized, but some of it is universal and eternal. Oh yeah. And uh, it sounds like that would be one of those, uh, one of those things about <laughs> yeah. the original. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> oh my God. I also love the, the, I mean, the poster art is the, all the women framed by his legs with the right. drill. And we get that shot yes. again in this, but in, in this case, it's one of his male victims. Right. And it's, it's great on a couple of levels because it takes this very exploitative image and twists it and also really reinforces what a penis replacement oh yeah <laughs> there's no missing it at that point right? oh, no, no 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 but i just think it's i think it's gr- i think it's just a great use of that imagery yeah. and and kind of putting a new spin on that imagery that we've come because i mean often so often with sasha stuff there's no distinction between violence and sexiness mm-hmm. right and you know while there's no actual nudity in that in that original image, there might as well be. Like the rape yeah, culture yeah. implied in that image is so intense. And so to see it kind of flipped, it's just another example of playing with the female gaze to highlight some things that maybe we're so accustomed and acculturated to that you don't even see it until that gender reversal happens. Right, exactly. I mean, this movie is so funny, but it's also really smart and incisive yeah. because it does this flipping thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I also really like the twist with the mom, too. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really fun that, you know, I mean, first of all, in slasher movies, we often get sort of the older grizzled character who's like, don't go there. You know, bad things happen here or whatever. The harbinger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. Mm -hmm. I couldn't think of that word. And so here we get it as a woman. But then, you know, you figure maybe she's going to pop up again. But I didn't expect her to be the killer's mom. So that took me by surprise. And I also think that it's interesting to kind of talk about the ways in which if you support like a violent man, you're not an ally or a feminist anymore. Right. Correct. And so I just, yeah, I I really enjoyed that part of it on top of the fact that just on a purely slasher movie level, the action scene between the two mothers was pretty brutal and really fun. Yeah. And watching her get killed by her son's drill was very satisfying. Indeed. And I am, I mean, it is one of those kind of a standard trope where somebody swoops in at the last Mm -hmm. minute and saves it. But I do think that there's thematic resonance to it that in this case, she's coming and avenging her own trauma as opposed to having her daughter do it for her. Yeah. Which I think is something that I kind of appreciate because so often women in films and books and stories, whatever, exist to be the motivation for another person's journey. Mm -hmm. And so to have her show up at the end, yes, the timing is convenient, but it also allowed her to have the agency to resolve her own trauma. Right. Yeah, because that is rarely the case. And we have so many stories, even this year, where (laughs) where that doesn't happen and somebody else comes in and gets their revenge for them. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. a frustrating trope. So it's a frustrating trope. I would like mm-hmm. to end the like female noble sacrifice trope. And I would like to end the woman exists to motivate another character. And I would also like the extremely skilled woman trope who in the last act is pushed aside for the chosen one. <laughs> you know, it's yes. like the equivalent of when you're trying to get a pickle jar open and the next person <laughs> is able to just pop it open and they're like, I opened the pickle jar. You're like, I opened the pickle jar you just took off the top that is that trope for me except for that it's extremely gendered and i hate it i hate it 
yes yeah yep sorry i know i'm on a rant i told you today i'm in a weird mood i'm just in a weird <laughs> place mentally today but mm. yeah i agree with you i love trish showing up i like the solidarity between the mother and the daughter i also just like how many times they stabbed him right <laughs> the little sister does the thing we're always shouting at women in slashers to do just which is like keep stabbing sure he's dead keep stabbing yeah. stab 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 and right. see dana do it again later with the machete correct that is how you behave in a slasher you kill and kill and kill until there is no <laughs> killing left to be killed and then it's so funny because it does that thing where the killer then somehow magically disappears, you know, yes, except yes. that he only did that because it wasn't like he was alive again. It was because his mom came in. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about a lot of the things that we love in this movie. Do you have any sort of uh, issues with, with it? Any cons? Not really. I think that the first twist of them being at the cabin because they wanted to confront the killer i think is telegraphed to you a bit because of the podcast everybody's listening to the same one oh, but i'm an idiot i totally was like whoa <laughs> okay then maybe not <laughs> i mean i also never see twists coming so yeah i'm not a good barometer whatever's presented to me i'm like this is my reality oh twist <laughs> So honestly, I, other than that, I don't really have a lot. I will say that there is this moment in the movie where Dana and one of the other characters whose name I'm forgetting have this sort of mo this lovely moment where they touch hands and have eye contact. Yes. And there's this romance between them. Mm -hmm. And the camera lingers on it long enough that it's obviously seems like it's meaningful. And you yes. expect there to be some kind of resolution or extension of that scene later on in the movie. But it's completely dropped. So we yes. have this sort of queer love story that starts, but then we don't actually get anything out of it. There's no mm -hmm. resolution at all. And that kind of bummed me out. That actually was one of my cons as well, because I do feel like, I mean, she doesn't just linger on her hand. She yeah. wipes something off her face and eats it. Yeah, oh, that's right. Which yes, is exactly. Gay. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they kind of have this moment. But so then I guess what I was wondering, and I was hoping maybe you would have an answer because I was back and forth about it. Was yeah. that something that was just sort of a subtle character moment that they didn't, they were like, this is not really important to the plot, but we want you to know that there's a deeper relationship between these two or an attraction or something here. Maybe. Or do you think it was part of the titillation to draw in Russ Thorne? Hmm. Oh, if it was just a fake out? They were performing sort of, yeah. you know, lesbian sort of seduction in order to arouse yeah. the potential killer like that's watching. If that was the point. It should have been bigger then. Right? So, okay. So, yeah. More, which would have been more noticeable. I wish we had thought to ask Danishka. I, I wish we had to. Because yeah. I am, that beat definitely stood out to me the first time. And then when I watched it the second time, I was like, no, I didn't imagine no. that. I'll definitely yes. read some subtext into shit because there's nothing i love more than a gay sex story <laughs> or a gay love story love story i'm not a creep Ooh, freudian slip but <laughs> but my point is i definitely can sometimes put a little too much on it but when i watched it the second time i was like yeah no. it's quite obvious what's happening yeah. there so if we had just had one other little moment peppered in towards the end you know at the end, literally at yeah. the end, when yeah, they're yeah. getting in the car, maybe a right. holding hands or something to acknowledge, I feel gaslit. Like <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was my main frustration. And then yeah. I think that for 
I don't know, 95% of this movie, the humor is spot on. And I think that the camp works really well. But I think there are maybe a couple little places where the humor maybe gets a little too broad and starts to veer into that sort of scary movie territory. Mm. But again, for the majority of this movie, I think it's almost perfect. Yeah. So I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Yeah. I think our cons are pretty much in line. The only other one would be I did have a little bit of trouble with Brini's death. She's the one that got it in the eye with the nail gun. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's up until that point, people behaved in ways that were right. mostly pretty. In, I mean, the girls scattered when they shouldn't have or something like that, right? But, but didn't they do just, that intentionally to so they could reconvene and sort of interesting. Keep, I thought they did that intentionally. Now that for you're saying it, that's probably true because there was a whole like I messed it up. I yeah. messed it up. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But that just proves your point even more. <laughs> right. So when she just stares out the window after yes. seeing seeing the nail sticking in the mirror or window, and you're like, just like, what are you doing? No, get duck. <laughs> Why duck. are you just standing there? And what do you? What's the yeah. point? I mean, yeah, that's, I totally this agree. is a minor, minor quibble. But mm-hmm. if we're gonna, if we're gonna be totally critical, I have to say the things that made me go like, hmm. yeah. And that was that was that one for me. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that cringed me out the most though was what's her face get Ashley in the car. Oh, Ooh, that one got good. me. It wasn't even the most gruesome, but it was just her hair getting caught in it in the fan. Oh, I know. Something. And when you see the bloody hair stuck in it. I I think it's trauma for me because when I was a kid, I got my hair caught in one of those, you know, like a a mixer. You know, the ones where it has the thing on the side. I have one. I can't think of what it's called. Those industrial mixers. Uh Uh-huh. I was making cookies and my mom left for like a second to go answer the door or something. And I leaned in to listen to the motor and my hair went whoop. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. So like anything about hair getting caught in things, I'm just like, ooh, triggered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i can right. see that then all right so overall would you recommend slumber party massacre yeah a hundred percent this movie is so much fun yeah and so silly and super enjoyable even if you're not somebody who generally is a huge slasher fan i think you're going to enjoy it but if you are somebody like me who does enjoy that subgenre i think you're going to really really like it so yeah, yeah. check it out yeah, as someone who doesn't especially love the slasher genre, I would <laughs> easily recommend this. I would recommend this to people who do love it, and I would recommend it to people who, like me, are just like, it's not my thing. Because there's enough here that is both satisfying to a slasher audience, but also it's not just the it's not just the cat and mouse. It's not just the standard plot beats. It it plays with it in ways that are really interesting. I watched it with someone who was not a lady and they enjoyed all of, I worry that some people are going to think it's too heavy handed in terms of its messaging, but they actually really laughed at all the jokes and got what it was saying without feeling, all right, we get it. Not all Mm -hmm. men, hashtag not all men. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is so annoying. But yeah, so this one is an easy, easy recommend for me. One of my favorites that we watched this year and Definitely my favorite movie we watched this week. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Please, if, you, if this is slid, not, slid under the radar or you think sci-fi is not going to deliver a good movie, course correct is all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Cool. So 
no listener mail this week, unfortunately. But if you want to get in touch with us, there's lots of ways you can do it. You can email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com, and that's G-R-R-L-Z. Or you can come chat with us over on the Facebook page or on either Twitter or Instagram. Instagram is where we're probably hanging out the most, at ZG Podcasts. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. And if you're looking for something spooky tonight because you've already seen this movie, then check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at the Zombie Girls website. And while you're there, check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And if you love us and you want to support us and you want to get on our Discord, which is hype. You should definitely do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls. It's still October. We still have our special going where at the $1 tier, you can get access to the discord. And so you should definitely take advantage of that. If you've been thinking about it, this is the moment. Make it happen. The other thing you get is extended episodes across the network. All of our shows have a longer, fun version for you for patrons only. And for instance, today we're going to be talking some more about the remakes that are coming up as well as ones we love. And then we're also going to talk about a few new films that like slumber party massacre are sort of getting into this nostalgia wave. Right? So we had this week alone, we had this come out Halloween kills and the Chucky TV series. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, also we, we didn't watch it. So we're not going to talk about it, but also day of the dead came out. So this, this is a thing. <laughs> I think it's clear. Some of them are successful, some are not so much. So we're going to get into that and then we're also going to talk about movies that we want to see remade, things that should have remakes that don't yet. So it'll be fun. Yeah. All right. So the next episode is a me pick. What are we doing? So this is something that I I remember seeing sort of buzz out of festivals that has finally come out that I've been really curious about called knocking have you heard of this oh i have yes okay okay Okay. it's a swedish film so get ready for subtitles (laughs) (laughs) okay so it is about a traumatized woman who seeks the truth behind mysterious knocking noises in the apartment above Mm, her i don't like it ariel (laughs) (laughs) and it's directed by uh, ariel messman You're like, oh, I didn't direct it. Creepy. I lived it. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be watching this alone in my apartment while hearing knocking sounds. Awesome. <laughs> oh, is this going to be too triggery for you? I could pick something else. <laughs> no, no, it'll be fine. What if Maybe one... it'll actually scare me. I want to be scared by a movie. Right. All right. So this is directed by Frida Kempf and it is out available on video on demand. So, you know, we're going to spoil it. Go ahead and read it now, watch it, and we will talk about it on the next episode of More Deadly in two weeks. Sounds good. All right, cool. (laughs) All right, on that note, until next time, Ariel, please. Oh, actually, unless you're sticking around for the extended episode, we're out of here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. Take us out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's been another episode of the More Deadly podcast. Thanks for sticking with us and listening to us, even if we're silly and sleepy all at the same time. This was a fun one. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And we'll be back here in two weeks. All right. Bye, y'all. I'm on vacation. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharp.
and welcome to the extended episode. We are going to be talking about remakes and some remakes slash like sequels that still kind of touch on that nostalgia of horror movies that we've loved over the years growing up. It may be a little bit of a rant. (laughs) (laughs) I got a lot of feels and not a lot of places to put them. So into the internet they go. (laughs) We're all you know, feels that should be kept to yourself, Liv. <laughs> Ariel, are you excited yeah. to talk about this? Yeah. Do we want to start crabby or start with things we love and then build to crabby? Oh, that's a very good question. Maybe we start with love. Maybe we'll do okay. a love sandwich. We'll do like, okay. I don't, know. I don't know. All right. Okay. I'm down for that. Okay, cool. So. <laughs> I asked you to, I feel like, um, I feel like the end of every episode of Drag Race, we asked you, before the show, we asked you to prepare for a lip sync. Um, Okay. Before the show, I asked you to prepare with a a list of one or two or three or whatever movies that you think should get a remake. And we, we talked about what's important with a remake is that it homages the original to some degree. Like it gets what's great about it, but Mm -hmm. can be its own thing. So, were you able to come up with any that you would like to see remade? And if so, why? (laughs) So, this was much harder than I thought it would be when you suggested it. Well, because I kept thinking about movies that I love. And I was like, oh, that could be remade. But no, I like the original. Right, right, right. (laughs) So, yeah. So, that that was way trickier than I expected it to be. So, one of the ones I was thinking about, though, is Rosemary's Baby. Oh, specifically directed by a woman oh i have to say one of my tactics in this was thinking about movies that i liked that were directed by creepy men (laughs) that i would like (laughs) because i was like i would like to enjoy them without the baggage right yeah Yeah. exactly Uh yeah so i think you could modernize it and if it was directed by a woman i think it could be even better maybe i don't know that's controversial fun yeah. yeah, I mean, the original, I love Rosemary's Baby. It's such a good movie. We just did an episode on it for Zombie Girls and went on and on I thought you were a feminist, Ariel. Amazing. Burn, <laughs> burn her, burn her. <laughs> but it does have the unfortunate Roman Polanski connection. Um, and yeah, I would just be curious to see the sort of newer commentary that could be mm-hmm. done with it. I yeah. think it could maybe be interesting. Yeah, definitely. Is there a woman in particular you'd like to see take it on? Oh, shoot. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to have to think about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think back over the women directed movies that we've covered. And yeah. like who I think could maybe strike that right tone. Like yeah. the first thing I thought of was Madeline Sims viewer, but I feel like that might be way too dark a day. <laughs> 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 I mean, it is essentially a rape revenge. It's a twist, not a rape revenge. That's so. true. <laughs> <laughs>